Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy! And this is Ordinary Fellowship. We're back. We've had one week under our belts and uh, after a hiatus, and so we're back recording episodes we're glad that you joined us. Uh, we're not going to have a lot of banter, Matthew, today, because I saw a thing that says nobody likes banter on podcasts. Sounds good. I know I don't. Do you? Not really. <laughs> Occasionally. <laughs> Life, books, and everything with Kevin DeYoung, they talk like for 10 minutes about football, and I just fast forward through <laughs> all of it. <laughs> anyway... Um, this is the second episode of our series that we're calling Secular Creed, after a book uh, by Rebecca, Rebecca McLaughlin. It's based on a sign that you've probably seen somewhere in your neighborhood that says something to the effect, in this house we believe that black lives matter, love is love, women's rights are human rights, we're all immigrants, and diversity makes us stronger. We're examining this phrase by phrase. Last week we looked at Black Lives Matters. I don't know how well we looked at it, but we tried. <laughs> True. And then this week we're going to look at the statement, love is love. So obviously this statement is dealing with LGBT issues and especially gay marriage. Um, this is one of the mantras that's used by them to promote their cause. You have any preliminary things to say, Matthew? I do not. He's, he still doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. <laughs> we have several things to say about this issue. This isn't really going to be an in-depth dive on what the Bible teaches about, about LGBT kind of issues. Um, but I do want to talk about the statement, love is love, because definitionally the statement is true. <laughs> Love is love. Logically, love has to equal love. But there's more meant by this than just that loving people is is a good thing. Um, Christians wholeheartedly accept the idea that we ought to love one another. The Bible calls us to love God, and the second that's the greatest commandment, the second commandment, is to love your neighbor. And the Bible even commands us that we ought to love our enemies and that we're to treat everyone the way we want to be treated. There's no denial of love here. We're not arguing against love um, when we argue against the statement. The statement is purposefully equivocal. And it's because they it's it's written like this because nobody's going to argue with it on its surface. Nobody's going to say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Love isn't love. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but that's not really what this statement is, isn't about. It doesn't mean that it's okay to love puppies and to love your children and to love your wife and, and your grandma and your best friend. That's, that's not what the statement is trying to convey because no one on planet Earth would argue with those things. Well, there might be some puppy haters, but other than that, nobody's going to argue with that. Everybody agrees that you ought to be loving to other people, and even to puppies for the most part. So the statement means more than what it on the surface is trying to say. And, and the idea, the way I 
best way I could put it is what they're trying to argue with the statement is that one may have a sexual or marital relationship to whomever one is attracted. And even that, that's not an absolute statement that um, they're trying to make. Because even LGBT people would put limits on that. Uh, It's not okay to have a sexual relationship with someone who doesn't consent to that relationship. It's not okay to have a sexual relationship with someone who's a close family member. It's not okay to have a sexual relationship with somebody who's too young to properly consent. So even then, it's not an absolute statement. There's still limits to this. But what I want to get across is that this this statement really isn't talking about love, meaning to will the good of another. It it it's it's actually promoting purposefully same sex relationships and same sex sexual relationships. That's what it's saying, and it's saying they're okay, and you shouldn't argue with it because this is just love. They're being equivocal about it on purpose. It's not accidental. They know what they're doing. They're trying to make they're trying to make it sound like who would stand in the way of love. As I I was saying that they're tr- they're they use this equivocal statement because no one's going to argue with a statement like love is love and you, no one wants to be uh, uh, ogreish enough be like Shrek and say love is not love. So they they use a purposefully equivocal statement to promote their ideas but they're actually they're not arguing that because as i said even they would have limits to where this love can go and if there are some limits then there could be more so uh, we're not arguing about love here we're arguing about uh, sexual behavior and they're being equivocal to make it about love when when everyone knows what we're talking about here One of the things that I think needs to be said in this regard is there's lots of people that we love, okay? We love our grandma. We love love our children. We love our friends. Those are good and healthy loves that everyone would encourage. The way they're trying to make it sound is having a sexual relationship with whoever you love is perfectly okay that there's no there's no restraint there's no limits to that but the sexual relationship was designed for marriage for a unique relationship there's no other relationship like it and so it's part of a unique relationship marriage isn't just about love now there ought to be love that that ought to be part of marriage uh, we don't want to, we don't want to minimize it, but we don't want to define marriage to the point even opposite gender marriages, traditional marriages, or what used to be known as marriage. <laughs> um, we don't want to define those as only about love. Um, it, it's it's a unique relationship that God has given human beings. This is. It's the only place where you can morally uh, express yourself sexually within that relationship. 
It also involves a, com a lifelong commitment to one another and companionship. Again, I keep, I keep using this word, but it's, I can't think of a better way to say it, that it's a unique relationship. And we'll talk in a minute about how it's designed by God. But to, to just equivocate and make it equal with love and anybody you love you can get married to is a, is a huge issue. Um, and even as, I, as I'm arguing LGBT issue, recognize that there's limits within that, uh, that even they wouldn't transgress. So you can't make a blanket statement, no matter what side you're on, saying love is love. It needs to be more detailed and more defined before someone can affirm or deny that statement. So does that make sense, Matthew? It does. Is any? Do I need to clarify anything? I don't think you need to clarify. I think the one piece I would add is another factor that causes the equivocation is because fundamentally the culture in general has made the decision that people fall in love and so how so that you have a biological response so i can't help myself when in reality there's no evidence that you fall in love you choose to love and we can do we can talk about that in another episode later but i think that's one another one of the moral frameworks that this sits on which causes them to have the equivocation i can't it's i just it's a feeling when we turn love into a feeling then it's hard to argue anything other than what they're trying to argue but love's not a feeling love's a choice and so therefore <clears throat> once you turn love into a choice then the whole argument completely falls apart upon itself right and, and it's not that there isn't feeling in that it. correspond Correct. to love but when you when you make make it all that there is correct and i mean this isn't only problem with this issue no. but it's also a problem with divorce Correct. and remarriage and adultery because people people will say they fell out of love so they got divorced or they fell in love with someone else so they got <laughs> they got divorced and married someone else right so it's a serious it's a serious issue no matter what your struggles with your attractions are to make love to be nothing more than a feeling right um, and all all you, all the TV shows, all the romantic movies, encourage this idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many shows I've had to sit through where they can tell true love by kissing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so <laughs> right, and so ultimately, love is love is just another example of how the culture in general has cheapened love through all the other illustrations you just gave. Right. Okay. And I know. We're not touching this adequately. Um, it's a 30-minute podcast. We try to keep it within 30 minutes. So we're, um, if we welcome questions, and uh, if we feel if we feel that the questions are um, of enough substance, then we may address this on future episodes. But that's enough for now. Dealing with the statement explicitly. But let, let's talk about the biblical view of marriage in uh, as a whole. I really appreciate how Rebecca McLaughlin outlines this. She doesn't do the typical start with... She, she does this, but not in the typical way. She doesn't just start and 
from a Bible passage and show this is what marriage looks like. One of the overall points she's trying to make uh, is from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 25, um, where the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What we see here in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians is is that marriage reflects the relationship of Christ to his church. Rebecca McLaughlin in her book says, says this about this idea. This signpost to Christ is why marriage is male and female and why husband and wives are called to different roles. Like Christ and the church, it's love across difference. Like Christ and the church, it's love built on sacrifice. Like Christ and the church, it's a flesh-uniting, life-creating, never-ending, exclusive love. Marriage is meant to point us to Christ. And so, when we redefine marriage, when we change what marriage is, either through heterosexual sins (laughs) or homosexual sins, we fail to point to Christ and and destroy the entire meaning and purpose of marriage. So what she's arguing here, and I think what the Bible teaches, the major reason for marriage is to point to Christ. And when you mess with it, it fails to do that and makes a mess of everything. This really, to me, is a huge signal that we can't, that same-sex marriage can never be acceptable to Christians. We can never be okay with it because it destroys that picture that it's supposed to point to. Um, even if, even if you can find other benefits to it, other things that are good. Because it destroys that picture, it makes it can't be sanctified. It can't be made holy. Um, that's not to that's not to downplay the seriousness of heterosexual sins within marriage, um, but they can be rectified by repentance and getting right with God. Same-sex marriage can never be sanctified or made holy if it stays same-sex marriage. Yeah, I would completely agree in that ultimately we do ourselves a disservice when we see marriage as believers as anything other than how Paul describes it in Ephesians 5. That ultimately it's a reflection of Christ in the church. And that what happens is is that we we don't realize that we get that backwards in our minds 
And then that affects how we view and how we interact and that we don't understand philosophically what marriage actually is. And then we allow the culture then to define it as opposed to the fact that God has already defined it. Right. And there's a whole host of issues there with defining and natures and how we got there from a culture that knew what a marriage was, knew what a woman was, knew what a man was, to now that's all up in the air. And you can read Carl Carl Truman's book. The the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It will probably give you a headache, um, but uh, it's well worth reading. It will it will clearly show you how philosophically we got to this point where we don't understand what a woman is and what a man is or what marriage is and how it can be so redefined. Right. Or you can just read his the, the shorter volume, Strange New World. But okay. yeah, either one. We recommend right. them um, on this issue. So the other issue we want to address. The gay rights movement has pick, become viewed as a civil rights movement. They've one of the things that you might hear is that gay rights be being compared to black civil rights in the '60s, and and they've definitely glommed on to that. And they're trying, and they will make the argument sometimes that Christians were wrong for opposing uh, integration in the '60s. And Christians are wrong for opposing same-sex marriage um, now. And that, like, Christians eventually got on the right side of the history about integration. Christians will eventually get on the right side of same-sex marriage, or they'll never, or they're on the wrong side of history. Um, that would be a good episode, talk, talking about the right side of history stuff but anyways so uh, Rebecca McLaughlin is really helpful here um, talking about this and explaining why there are problems with this perspective and making the gay rights movement a civil rights movement akin to the uh, African American civil rights movements Um, and I just want to go through the bullet points real quick because we don't have a lot of time Some of them we'll talk more about. Some of them we might just read the point and move on. There's six of them. She says, first, as we saw in chapter one, without without the God of the Bible, our ideals of human equality and justice have no foundation. This is one of the things that she reiterates time and time in in the book. She especially um, refers frequently to Tom Holland's book, Dominion, which we talked about last week where Tom Holland's major point in his book is human rights and civil rights came about as a result of Christianity. Because pre-Christianity, Greek and Rome did not believe in human rights, didn't believe in protecting um, the oppressed or marginalized. And quite frankly, even today in, in places where Christianity hasn't had a major influence, that's still the idea. The, the idea of human rights and civil rights flourishes in cultures who have been most deeply touched by the Christian faith. We recommend the book Dominion to, 
but that one's even bigger than Carl Truman's book. <laughs> and if you don't like it, it will make a great uh, doorstop. The library will have it, so uh, you can check it out there. So the whole point is with our ideals of human equality have no foundation if Christian, without God, without the God of the Bible. Because then what is justice? Justice is, is just the best we can possibly do. Or it becomes just a, um, it's, it really becomes a cultural construct. And then you have to say, well, if it's just a cultural construct, why do I have to be nice to people? Why do I have to suppress my desires, my wants, and my liberty for them when um, there's, no, there's no other reason than it's a cultural uh, construct? So second, and this goes right along with it, the idea that minorities should be protected, not oppressed, also came to us from Christianity. Um, Again, Tom Holland's book outlines that even fuller. Uh, Third, without a belief in Creator God, there is no story to the universe. Uh, She says this because Martin Luther King, in his I Have a Dream speech, said that the arc of history... Uh, history arcs toward justice um, as if as if history is moving purposefully to an intended goal <laughs> that but if there's no God then history is just a bunch of random events that occurred there is no purpose to which it's going to um, it's not bending to anything it's just stuff that's happening uh, it's meaningless and has no and has no purpose. So King, Martin Luther King, is arguing from a Christian perspective uh, when he argues that the a story of the universe, that there's a story to the universe. Fourthly, the problems with Christians who supported segregation was not that they listened to the Bible too much, but too little. In fact, I, I would argue that these Christians who supported segregation supported it not because of the bible but because they were listening to culture and the spirit of our age and the culture and the spirit of our age today is saying affirm same-sex relationships and the like they were giving into the culture rather than fighting against the culture with the biblical teaching the fifth problem with the claim that Christians who don't affirm gay marriage for believers are on the wrong side of history is that, in purely demographic terms, it seems unlikely to be true. She's talking about how Christians in, in Africa, where soon uh, the majority of Christians in the world will be in Africa, um, they also oppose same-sex marriage. Um, Islam also opposes gay marriage, and if you add those two together, then if you want to talk about numbers of people opposed to gay marriage, there are certainly much more people opposed to it than for it. In the United States, there may be a majority of people who are okay with same-sex marriage, or in the West, there may be, but then you're excluding other people, and that kind of sounds like uh, you don't think black lives matter if you don't count them. So, (laughs) that... We're going back to the white liberals being colonialist by forcing their ideas of the world on Africans. Um, anyway, 
So they're they're the these guys are the new colonialists. Finally, the claim that anyone who opposes gay marriage for Christians is equivalent to a 60s segregationist fails when we look at the actual beliefs of black Americans. Where I think we talked about last week how black Americans are more likely to be religious. They're, they're more religious than their white counterparts would be. Not only do they claim in higher numbers to be Christians, but they're actually involved in reading the Bible and going to church and praying and things like that more so than others. And and so many of them are, many black people, many Africans Americans are opposed to gay marriage. Um, if you'll remember in 2008 when Barack Obama ran for president the first time, he was opposed to same-sex marriage. Um, and part of the reason was, I don't think he was morally opposed to it, he was politically opposed to it because he wanted to make sure he got the black vote. Um, if he opposed gay marriage, or if he was openly for gay marriage, he would have endangered his support among African Americans, uh, and, and he knew that. So, <laughs> to say that uh, this is just like segregation is, is again, to accuse African Americans of being involved in uh, the new segregation, and I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, one other thing that she's she said that I think is worth repeating here is when Christians opposed segregation and when Christians opposed um, interracial marriage, it was wrong. Okay, and here's here's what she says about that: nothing about interracial marriages changes what marriage was designed to be—a picture of Jesus' love for the church and a partnership for bearing and raising children. So we're going back to that what we talked about from Ephesians 5 and what the picture of marriage is. It's a reflection of the relationship of Christ and his church. So-called interracial marriages don't bring any harm to that picture. They don't destroy it. They don't cover it up. They don't hide it. They, it it's the same picture no matter the color of the individuals involved. But you cannot say that of same-gendered uh, marriages or relationships. So that was a lot, Matthew. <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I feel overloaded now. But we're trying. What well, we're making, we're making the point when liberals compare uh, the gay rights movement to the black civil rights movement, they're not comparing apples and apples. It's apples and oranges, and there's more differences that we could talk about. These are just the ones that she mentions, and I think they're good ones. Um, so anyways, we don't we don't believe that this is a civil rights movement, um, because ultimately no one individual or no group of individuals has the right to redefine what marriage is, whether, whether you just go by tradition or whether you uh, go by biblical standards there's no right to redefine that and maybe the problem is is that um, the government's too involved in marriage and maybe um, maybe we need to reconsider that but redefining what marriage is for the whole society and pretending that um, pretending that this isn't a unique relationship a special relationship that's valuable and and different than any other relationship 
and that anybody, any number of people or any number of individuals, no matter their gender, can be involved in this is, is really not good for culture or society, and it's not good for individuals, frankly, either. Right. I think that's the should be the main takeaway is that ultimately we always get ourselves into trouble when we strive to redefine that which God has already defined. And when we allow culture, which is marred and flawed, to somehow, out of a, a an emotional sense of care, which is anything but that, but that's how it's framed, to say that this is that which God has defined is now wrong or bigoted or however, whatever terminology they want to use, it cheapens and it, it cheapens both the active, it cheapens the picture that God is seeking to provide and it cheapens the relationship and that we have to realize that the marriage relationship is different than any other relationship on earth and therefore the standard to which it is held is a different standard and we have to be understand that and support that and i think that is part of the problem which we don't have time to talk about it but from a philosophical level that that's what this is is this is an attempt to cheapen the marriage relationship because it because in cheapening the marriage relationship you get two pieces which we talked about before at the beginning is one the problem is we already cheapen the marriage relationship by divorce right. and everything else. Heterosexuals do a good right. job of that. Right. Too. And so then once you cheapen the relationship, then you create all of these other problems. The other piece I'll add is, is that ultimately, since love is defined by God, we go back to where we ended last week. Because I think, I think that's one of the places we always have to come back to when we have these conversations about, the, about this secular creed. Ultimately, we see love. To understand what love actually is, is to understand the gospel. That's where we actually understand what love is. And love, therefore, isn't a mere accepting of me no matter what. And so, to say love is love, meaning that I get to choose whatever I want, is, as Jeremy said at the beginning, and I think it's where we need to end and reiterate it, it's at best foolish to try to say that love is this open-ended thing that has no parameters whatsoever upon it and it says because no one actually believes that so the the responsibility that all of us have then is to determine what are the parameters on love and where who gets to decide what those parameters are and we would argue that god has already determined what the parameters of what love right. is god is love correct and, and all love all true love is a reflection of that love um, I do want to. I do want to say we've been dealing with this mostly from a political viewpoint because we're dealing with human rights. Kind of have to. We're, but please notice that we're not offering any policy suggestions. <laughs> we're. This is. This is above that level right. that we're discussing this. We're not trying to offer the. Say this is legislative things that should happen as a result of these beliefs. We're trying to answer some of the arguments 
um, that those who support LGBT so-called rights uh, are are proposing. So we've we've dealt with this from a political viewpoint without dealing with with policies that should be in place, which I think we need to do because we don't want to get involved right. in partisan politics and things like that. That's not our purpose. But I think feel we need to mention and deal with it on personal level that mm-hmm. our viewpoint about this does not mean that we look down on or harbor ill will towards anybody who is is in any of those letters represented by LGBT. We know there are very real struggles, and we have a heart of compassion for people uh, who who are struggling. And so we want to make that known. This isn't to look down and condemn people. We It's our desire that everyone come to Christ. But w- what we said last week about uh, uh, African Americans is true of gay, lesbian, and transgender people. That God created everyone, every human being, in his image, and everybody has dignity and worth. And people who have same-sex attractions or are dealing with transgenderism are people who are made in the image of God and who have dignity and worth. And we value you as people, and and it would be our desire for you for you to come to Christ where you find all the answers you need. And I know we can't answer all your questions, all your concerns on a short podcast where we don't even necessarily know who's listening. Um, and you don't, and you may not know us, but this certainly doesn't come from a heart of animus. We're not angry at anybody. <laughs> right. We're, we're trying, we're trying to offer an alternative view and, and we still want to be sympathetic um, to those who struggle with these issues. Right. So in summary, I think the easiest way for us to summarize this is to say it this way. Even though we reject the premise of love is love, all of us are called to love one another because God is love and he has defined it and he has clarified it. And so may we uphold the standard to which he's called us, whether that is that he has a play, we have entered into covenant relationship with someone of the opposite gender, or whether that's just in our other everyday relationships. May we strive to demonstrate the love that God has called us to. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.